College basketball this weekend, but uh, we should start with the big news of the day, and uh, that's news that Michigan State Athletic Director Mark Hollis uh, has resigned. This is obviously uh, connected to the Larry Nasser scandal. He acknowledged that in a statement that he released earlier uh, today, he said that his last day on the job is going to be uh, Wednesday. That'll be his last day in the office. Mark Hollis out as Michigan State's athletic director just two days after. Uh, the president of Michigan State University also offered her resignation. Subsequent to that, Outside the Lines released a story that Mark Hollis didn't know was coming, so it's possible uh, his resignation was also connected to, to that story, but it details um, what it uh, labels as um, uh, a culture of sexual assault within the Michigan State men's basketball program. It details a story involving Travis Walton, who once played at Michigan State, uh, but while he was an assistant there, uh, was accused of, of striking a woman, but was allowed to still be a member of, of the uh, men's basketball program, and then was subsequently accused of sexual assault. And then it, uh, the story also details um, uh, a story that had already been reported, that Adrian Payne and Keith Appling, Michigan State teammates, were accused of sexual assault. Uh, but uh, the woman tells her story for Outside the Lines, and uh, obviously Adrian Payne and Keith Appling continued to play um, uh, prominent roles for that, for that men's basketball program. And so, um, listen, we've known for a while now that there was some ugly things happening um, you know, at, at Michigan State University as it relates to that athletic department. We've mostly been focusing on um, the, the Larry Nassar scandal, uh, but this this is a new uh, part of everything, and uh, there's no way to spin it into good news for, for Tom Izzo. I, I won't pretend to know what it means for Tom Izzo, but uh, it's obviously not a good thing uh, for Tom Izzo. Norlander, I know you've read the outside the line story. I'll just get your initial thoughts on it. Yeah, this is a hell of a story and a lot of reporting um credit to paula levine who has the byline on this outside the line story uh clearly months if not basically years went into this and the men's football program comes out looking awful um mark d'antonio uh football coach for michigan state as well as we sit here and record this podcast on friday afternoon i have little doubt now that Mark Hollis announced his resignation slash impending retirement knowing that this story was coming. When and I wrote the headline for CBS Sports on Hollis' reti- retirement and you know worked to confirm that with sources earlier in the day that that indeed was going to happen. And so it has, um, but at the time that that story was published and for about two and a half, three hours, um, basically only the people at Michigan State and the people at ESPN that were associated with publishing the story knew this was coming. Uh, now that we know it's here... Uh, the Nasser situation obviously affected um, Hollis's decision, 
But this outside-the-line story, without question, sent it over the edge. Outside-the-lines details uh, in its story, uh, Levine details that she reached out to Michigan State and Hollis and the Sports Information Department and uh, D'Antonio and Izzo and requested for um, their comments and gave them details of what was coming down the pike with this story. Um, there's a whole hell of a lot we need to get to here. Um so let me ju- just give me the floor here for a minute here, GP, and then I'll send it back to you. Um, I'll start with the Nasser thing. We had not discussed it on this podcast because uh, at that point um, it was not a topic that was directly impacting college basketball other than, you know, Izzo did have a pretty regrettable statement at a postgame press conference uh, earlier in the week. He then, as he should have, walked that back the next day in the form of a written statement. And he was asked about it and uh, picked some poor words as he as he spoke off the top of his head. Um, but that was really the extent of it. And he was asked to basically comment on the on the Nasser situation and Michigan State as, as a whole. And as an effect of that, uh, you know, his his longtime friend, uh, Mark Hollis, uh, they famously were in each other's weddings and all of that. Um, the Nasser situation uh, is totally gross. And to see the women bravely speak out against him, um, I was wowed by that. I watched a number of, of those women speak. There were more than 160 that spoke right to Nasser's face at his trial over the past week or so. Um, and finally, that had hit a mainstream level of discourse. Uh, it was leading national news telecasts. The news of his uh, sentencing up, upward of you know, up to 175 years for this case alone. He had already received 60 years for possession of child pornography. He will rot and die in jail, uh, as he should in, in federal prison. And... Uh, Hollis's connection to that alone had to force his his resignation. Um, you can't run an athletic department and have something like Larry, have someone like Larry Nasser working for 19 years. That's the other thing that people may not realize. Nasser had been employed by Michigan State since 1997. You throw in the fact that he was a longtime doctor with USA Gymnastics, which brings it to a, a global level of infamy as far as uh, the United States is concerned. And obviously, this is going to lead to this. Okay, so take that part of it. And now, some of what's in the outside the line story is not new news, but it will come as new news for a lot of people that were unaware of this. Because what's happened here is that Outside Lines has published a meticulous piece that is readdressing um, an old instance as it pertains to, to Tom Izzo and Michigan State basketball at the height of the Larry Nasser uh, scandal and Hollis's retirement slash resignation. And so as it should, it will bring more outcry. And as it should, it will bring a lot of debate over whether Tom Izzo should lose his job. Now, what the actual report details here are three players uh, that were with Michigan State's program, and these incidents happened uh, about eight, almost eight years ago. Uh, well, the the one with Travis Walton, who had already played and at that time had moved to being a staffer under Izzo, um, accused of physically assaulting a woman at a bar, uh, hitting her. And then you've got Keith Appling and Adrian Payne, who at the time, Paris, do I have this correct? Were they recruits at the time of this? Yes, uh, they were recruits at the time. I'm going to read you 
and I'm gonna I'm gonna warn if there's anyone listening to this and they might have a young child in the, in, uh, with them, uh, I'd I'd go ahead and skip ahead for about two minutes here. I'm gonna read you this graph here because um, uh, these words need to be heard. Um, the the particular woman uh, involved in this has decided to reveal her identity, which is not common uh, for a lot of obvious reasons. But uh, in this particular case, she has come forth with her identity and because of doing that has brought extreme uh, validity and even more uh, light to the forefront with this. So her name is Carolyn Shaner. I hope I get, I'm getting that last name correct. And um, she uh, depicts a situation on August 30th, 2010, uh, she, uh, when she, her and a friend walked into a campus to police department and told investigators about an incident that happened the night before. And here's the graph. Uh, Shaner had moved into Wonders Hall that weekend and attended an orientation meeting. Though she did not know who they were, she saw top basketball recruits Adrian Payne and Keith Appling during the orientation, but she did not speak to them. Later that evening, Shaner ran into them in the dorm's lobby and talked with them before she accepted an invitation to go back to their room where the three started playing miniature basketball. The two men began taking their clothes off with each missed basket, but Shaner told police she refused to take off any more than her T-shirt, under which she was wearing a sports bra. She told police the two men ended up cornering her and turning off the lights. She told police she felt trapped and fearful of refusing their advances. Appling, she told police, removed her underwear, and then the two men pulled her to the ground and started penetrating her vaginally, anally, and orally. She told police that she said to the men, quote, I don't want it, stop, and don't, end quote. In a video interview obtained by Outside the Lines, Payne told detectives that Shaner had indicated she wanted to leave. This is so gross. It's so appalling. The uh, The story itself has been reported previously. Um, as Outside the Lines uh, mentions, uh, Payne and Appling um, – went on to play every single game during their freshman season. If there was any sort of real uh, punishment that these two faced, it was not uh, anything significant. There was, there's, you, I really recommend everyone that's listening to this podcast go and read the story. It's going to take you a few minutes. It's a long story, but it's really detailed. Uh, I feel compelled to mention the fact that Michigan State actually tried to withhold information after ESPN put forth a public records request, and because of that, um, ESPN sued Michigan State, which then would later try to, to sue uh, ESPN when it asked for even further uh, public information requests. In regard to all of that, I don't know how much Izzo or Hollis are connected to lawsuits or anything like that. I will not invoke their names because, frankly, I don't know if they had any sort of connection to that. or Maybe they did, maybe they didn't. I can't say whether or not. But the story itself is really, really gross, um, and it's necessary and it's vital reporting. Um, there were previous campus protests regarding to the Payne-Appling situation. Adrian Payne, I will mention, went on to become a very beloved figure with Michigan State because he uh, befriended a, a young girl named Lacey who had cancer who would then tragically go on to die. Um, and, and Payne uh, and Michigan State received a lot of positive public publicity for a great thing. That was a great thing, but it, it also then glossed over something that clearly was um, so egregious and so terrible. Payne did not speak, nor did his agent speak with ESPN. Appling is currently in jail for a separate incident um, involving a gun charge. So... Uh, that's a broad overview of, of what this story touches on, only in terms of co the college basketball angle. Like, There's plenty with the football angle. There's a lot with the Nasser stuff. And th the big takeaway from this, this story is that Michigan State was not just dealing with a Nasser issue and negligent with that for two decades, which is honestly 
just mind-boggling and horrifying in and of itself. It's it's showing you how a university can bungle and mishandle issues of sexual assault, if not outright rape, when they occur. And this is something that unquestionably has happened and is happening at untold amounts of universities elsewhere. I wonder how many more we will find out about in the coming weeks and months and years. This will not be a singular situation. Um, now we know why Hollis stepped down, and now we wait for D'Antonio and Izzo to issue statements to speak uh, face-to-face with the press and to find out if their jobs will be in jeopardy because now there will be even more rightful criticism and review over what did and did not happen with Travis Walton, Keith Appling, Adrian Payne, all of whom are no longer obviously with the program. A lot to unpack here. Um, you know, when Mark Hollis released his statement earlier today, I thought it was fairly well done. But now it seems less so because one of the things he had in that statement was, I'm not running from anything. Looks like he probably was trying to get out before. At the very least, he knew this story was coming, and he knew this story would put even more pressure on him to remove himself from his job because you can say that I never met Larry Nasser and I'll take him at his word but you can't say you never met Tom Izzo you can't say you never met your football coach and there's clearly some some issues here um, my instincts are to say Tom Izzo's Tom Izzo he'll be fine um, you know these these situations were many many years ago and he would I think obviously as any I shouldn't say any, but most college basketball coaches would handle handle those situations differently in 2018 than they handled them in, say, 2010 or any other time. Um, on the other hand, we've seen people lose their jobs over um, or careers, reputations over decade long, um, decade old, I should say, allegations. You know, Kevin Spacey wasn't accused of doing something four months ago. It was a long time ago. He got removed from a film. He got removed from House of Cards. Um, I bet you we never see him work in any sort of prominent way again, perhaps not ever. And so I guess that's my way of saying who knows. Um, and it's just a an ugly mess that seems to be snowballing on everybody there, um, maybe, maybe for good reason. Uh, the Nasser thing was obviously just a, a disgusting scandal the failure within that university and with within United States gymnastics to to stop this monster when the allegations first surfaced against him um, is is unacceptable and unforgivable behavior um, they, they everybody uh, you know and this is a complicated case I think this is a simple statement anybody who knew about Larry Nasser and didn't properly report him should lose their jobs and, and maybe even more and that's what we're seeing happen already at Michigan State. First the president, now the athletic director. And then I'm, I'm, I'm sure there will be more to come. And United States gymnastics will, will, will go through a house cleaning um, as well. Because, you know, we, I think over the past week, we've seen Allie Raisman speak in such a courageous way. And 167 other young women, and, and in some cases girls, you know, teenage girls, um, and we we mix it in with speaking or um, 
Lady Gaga speaking or any other incredibly courageous woman who has spoken up against someone who um, assaulted them and said, you know what, we're not going to stay silent anymore. That's what the Me Too movement is. That's what leads to Harvey Weinstein finally being exposed and 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 having his career ruined. It's what leads to um, so many other men in all walks of life um, losing their reputations at the very least and in, in most cases their, their jobs. This ain't that though at Michigan State, not with Larry Nassar. This isn't like everybody's coming forward now about Larry Nassar because they're inspired by hashtag me too. Some of these young women came forward a long time ago. The first allegation against Larry Nassar was made in 1997. If that allegation was taken seriously, it could have theoretically stopped him back then. That's the same year Simone Biles was born. So if Larry Nassar stopped back then, or anytime close to back then, uh, Simone Biles never meets him, much less is ever assaulted by him. And so the failure to, to handle this in the proper way, time after time after time, decade after decade, um, is just maddening particularly when Penn State is in our recent history. Like if we were ever going to learn a lesson from that ugly scandal, the lesson would be when you know there's a monster on your campus or simply in your community, you report him to the proper authorities. You report that person to the people who can address it. doesn't mean throw them in jail immediately. It doesn't mean ruin their careers immediately. But there needs to be a, a centralized record of the allegations against these people so that you can compare stories. And if it is as it appears to be, that person can be removed from society. Not just campus, but from society. With Jerry Sandusky, it did not happen. And with Larry Nassar, it did not happen in both cases until it was well too late. And... So when I read Marcos's statement and he says we have to listen and we have to learn, I agree completely. But you should have been listening a long time ago. You know, again, uh, there were, according to the Detroit News, at least 14 different people in different positions at Michigan State University who were made aware of Larry Nassar and the allegations against him. Why did it stop there? Why, if, if Mark Hollis didn't know, why not? If the president of the university didn't know, why not? If the police didn't know, why not? That everybody who didn't take that where it should have been taken, um, I, I think probably should pay a significant price for that. And now with this other stuff, we just have to see where it goes because there's no question. You know, Tom Izzo is going to have to answer these questions. These stories are bigger now than they were Um when they were first reported. Why did you let two prospects who were accused of that come onto your campus? You, you couldn't do it now. If there were two recruits anywhere in the country who were accused of what Keith Appling and Adrian Payne were accused of, you could not enroll them at a, at a, at a university. You could not. Right. And it is, I don't mean to interrupt here, but it's gross that like you could have done it eight years ago. Like, why is it taken so long for society in America to get to this point? And that's a really, you know, I understand that's sort of more of a profound question uh, and rhetorical one. But, like, it's, it's idiotic. And, by the way, when we, t- when we talk about this, parish, like, we talked about the Minnesota situation, what, two weeks ago? Like, yeah, yeah. Pati- Rich Patino should be answering for that and the athletic director should be answering that. And Dana Altman, who we have written and both said on this podcast, 
shouldn't have a job. If what happened at Oregon happened now instead of four years ago, three years ago, Dana Altman would be out of a job. But because we hit this watershed moment now, um, yeah, you know, it, it, the bill has come like so overdue on this. Um, and it's in this weird way, like it's finally refreshing to see that, you know, gross, horrible people that do these terrible things are being held accountable. But it's damn idiotic that this isn't something that changed 50, 60, 70 years ago. Like, why did it have to wait until 2017, 2018 to happen? I don't have the answer for that exactly. But um, there are a lot of other people in college athletics right now that know that their jobs are going to be um, hanging in the balance here. Because this is going to happen more. We are going to see more, and we should see more. Everyone that's ever been uh, truly uh, sexually violated, physically assaulted, and has felt... Um, threatened or intimidated in one way or another to not speak up should feel compelled if they are comfortable with it and speaking up now and bringing uh, their truth to light and bringing uh, you know their justice to power because there's just no excuse for this. Absolutely. Listen, I understand that it is. It was eight years ago and Michigan State held an internal investigation as it pertains to appling and, and pain. But you know what? We have a lot more information now, and you're going to have to answer for it again. And Izzo's going to have to answer for it a lot. Um, I don't know if he'll lose his job. Um, should he lose his job? I think it should absolutely be on the table at this point. I, that might seem harsh to some listeners. Others are probably saying, hell yeah, what's going on in Michigan State? Clean the whole freaking house out because this is gross and completely unacceptable. It can't just start with the president and Hollis. Um, I don't know where we go from here. We are reacting to this in real time, by the way. Like, the story came out minutes before we did this podcast, and so we're trying to ingest all this because it's a whole hell of a lot. And Michigan State has become the new Baylor. It has become the new Penn State. I hate the fact that we even have to have these situations where universities become the new X, the new Y, the new Z, but there's going to be another one that's going to be the new Michigan State. What we are learning here is that in universities across America, and it's not just with universities, but this sort of culture um, that allows for physical and sexual assault um, and predatory action in a number of different ways. Uh, it is widespread and it is rampant. And, and, and just credit to the journalists that continue to do the work that needs to be done in exposing a lot of this because we are becoming more informed about this and we are putting uh, the kind of attention needed forth toward these situations because uh, at the very, very least, it is bringing um, a, a sense of, of, uh, of comfort's not the right word, but it is bringing the kind of, of retribution at the very least that is owed to the victims in these cases. It's already starting to turn on social media on Tom Izzo. Like, I'm getting tweets from people saying, hey, I thought Izzo was one of the good guys. I'm disappointed. And I think anybody who knows Tom would describe him as a good guy. But this is this is now very much a part of his story, and he's going to have to answer for it. And I'm, I'm sure on some level what you'll find out is, of course I wouldn't do that today. At the time, you know, it was like they were accused of something. We looked into it. We found it to be unsubstantiated. And we weren't going to ruin two young people's opportunities because of what we at the time believed was an unfounded allegation. Like that, that'll be the story. I'm certain. But uh, the truth is, like in the year 2018, that same thing happens that same way. You just don't even enroll them. I'll, I'll take it a step further. A few years ago, uh, Memphis enrolled Michael Dixon, former Missouri guard, after he was accused uh, of um, sexual assault twice by two different women. And 
listen, there was no problems with Michael here. To my knowledge, there's been no problems with Michael since. Well, that both those women, um, you know, weren't giving an accurate portrayal of what happened between them and Michael. It is important to note that he's never been charged with a crime, um, or ne certainly never been convicted of one. Um, but you could not enroll Michael Dixon today. Like if he had been same story, accused by two different women of that, you just you'd have to say, hey, even if it's not true, we can't get involved with that. And so the world has changed. But it doesn't mean everybody doesn't still have a past. And um, and this past, that decision, Tom, and whoever else was involved in the decision, uh, that decision they made, um, well, it's, 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 it's come back in January 26, 2018, and, and they'll have to answer that. I suspect possibly by the time we even get this podcast uploaded, uh, Tom Izzo will, will have to address it um, in some way. Yeah. And we now, okay, so do you want to, the other big story, I mean, uh, we'll see. This is reacting in real time. We'll see what else we get. GP, we got the UConn thing. Do you want to get into that now? Yeah. Um, I don't know what else there is to say, honestly, about uh, what we know at, at Michigan State. I'm sure we'll revisit it um, on a future podcast, perhaps as soon as uh, the next one on Sunday night. But um, I think we made the points there that we, we wanted to make. Uh, as for UConn, it was reported late last night by Jeff Jenkins, uh, Jeff Jacobs, rather, that um, – the men's basketball program is under investigation. It was confirmed early Friday by um, UConn officials. And now the Harper Current is reporting that it is definitely related to uh, possible recruiting uh, violations. What's fascinating about this, and we should make it clear, um, the, the, the prospects involved are not known. Whether they went on to play at UConn or not is unclear. How serious this may or may not be, also unclear. Um, but the fascinating thing about this is that normally when you're an athletic director or president of a school and you hear that one of your um, flagship programs, in fact, the, the biggest program on your campus by a wide margin, well, I shouldn't say that. There is UConn women's basketball, but certainly a significant national brand uh, is under investigation once again for recruiting violations. Like, that's bad news. Except I wonder if it's bad news for UConn. And here's what I mean. They owe Kevin Ollie $9 million dollars after this season there is no like you can buy it out at this number number it's nine million dollars i yeah it, I, oh is it nine i thought it was 11 it might be 11 i, I well, you I, could be right it could be it, it could be just a matter of the the timing on the contract and all this but it, it is huge it's a significant amount of money i thought what i read was three years at three million dollars per year but it might be uh, it's let's just say between nine and eleven million dollars a, a a not insignificant amount of money particularly for a school outside of the power five structure um, but they can they can fire him for cause if if there are NCAA uh, violations attached to him so I wonder in the most twisted way possible mm. if you if you kind of officials aren't saying go ahead NCAA get him because we it'll save us nine ten eleven million dollars I, I, I wonder if any athletic department has ever been in this weird situation where they want to fire their coach but they can't afford to do it Oh, but now an NCAA investigation might allow him to do it for nothing. What a weird situation. It is. And and let's address the obvious here. Like with Michigan State versus UConn, we really – like the fact that these stories both break on the same day, essentially, um, you really get a good perspective on like what actually freaking matters with this stuff. Yeah, you want to keep teams in line and all that stuff. And you want to catch uh, recruiting violations. But that is just a universe apart from, from – uh, 
the appalling stuff that we are seeing reported out of uh, out of Michigan State here. But let's deal with UConn within the context of the situation that's in right now and discuss it uh, henceforth. So this is now another situation in which this program is caught in the NCAA's crosshairs. And UConn, with this, now we don't know what recruits, we don't know how serious, we don't know how big or small, we don't know that yet. And I don't know how... Jacobs originally got uh, his his tip for his scoop. This could be something small, but I want to I want to put this in the in the context of, of listeners that don't live in the state I live, which is the Nutmeg State right here in Connecticut. So UConn men's and women's basketball is a huge deal. It's the biggest deal. It's bigger than any pro team. Connecticut doesn't have a professional team now. It has a lot of local coverage of the Boston and New York area teams, absolutely, but nothing means as much as UConn men's and women's basketball. So when you have a headline like this, it's going to catch flame in the state because there are so many people vested in it. Um, and though the headline catches flame, we don't know how serious or not this, this is. That that remains to be seen. I'll be totally honest with you. Sometimes a story will break and you'll hear some rumblings. GP, I did not ha- I did not hear a peep about this at all. So this took me by surprise in regard to the NCAA looking into UConn. You make an, you make an interesting point as it pertains to, to Ollie's buyout and the fan base is unstable. They're kind of thinking like, we got to get a new coach here. What's been going on here with Ollie is, is, is trending in the wrong direction. He won a national title with Calhoun's players. This is not the way that we should be going, even though he's an alum and we like him in a lot of ways. Uh, might we need to be getting a new kind of coach? Could this be your out? Could this be your ace in the hole? It absolutely could. Again, remains to be seen how serious this is. And our players that were recruited and are pertaining to this issue, are they on the roster now? Are they not? How serious are these violations? We don't yet know. But my big point is this. UConn is now hitting up, has hit the point where no matter how big or small this is, it is on the short list of, of programs that have had um, just <laughs> a, a certain familiarity with NCAA investigators, and that's not a reputation that you want. And in particular, it's not a reputation that you want when you are no longer a member of the Big East. And since you transitioned for football reasons out of the Big East to join the American Athletic Conference and have not been able to, to keep a foot here with other programs in the, in the conference, UConn should be uh, at what Cincinnati has been in the AAC. You know, it should be one or two every single season. There's no excuse not for that not to be the case. It just has not been the case. And this is something where Ali can't even really stretch his arms and not touch both eras of his coaching career. He inherited a situation where UConn had a postseason ban, um, where they had APR issues, and now we see this happening. Don't know how involved Ali is or isn't, but doesn't matter. He's the head coach. He's attached to it. Obviously, some assistant coaches here are, are caught in the crosshairs as well. We await to see what is going to happen and what more we are going to find out. Eventually, the fact that they have reached the stage, we will eventually get, uh, I would presume, unless unless the bottom falls out on this, we're going to get a notice of allegations. We're going to get to see what the NCAA is accusing UConn with and get to see uh, what's happening here. I can't offer a timeline for listeners. I don't know if this is something that we're going to have a serious movement on by March or if we're going to get to October and be like, hey, that UConn thing, like, where are we with that? You know, what what's going on? It will be interesting. Um, the one thing that I guess I would keep an eye on as we go forward here, um, if any players uh, face sort of indefinite suspensions or any kinds of suspensions and what reasons are given for those, potentially we might get a little more information there. Or there does remain the possibility that all the players that were recruited potentially by nefarious means uh, no longer are with the program or never attended to begin with. What we don't know as well, and I, I haven't gotten any – it's interesting. I haven't gotten any sense of this at all. You know, I, I put up a column on Friday – that's basically going to be lost to the ages here. About where today is the four-month anniversary to the day, uh, January 26th, back to September 26th, of when the FBI had its press conference and announced the bombshell that rocked college basketball. 
Well, the column goes into, like, we haven't really heard a lot. Like, Parrish can attest to this as well. You talk to coaches or agents or people at the NCAA or anyone within the, the world of college basketball, it's a lot of like, hey, you heard anything? Hey, I haven't heard anything. What have you heard? I just keep waiting, man. There's there's nothing. And it is it is a bizarre turn of events given that so many people were expecting more at this point in the season, but it hasn't been. It's, it's just been something that's really been beyond a backdrop at this point. I bring that up because I don't necessarily think, if you are thinking this might be tied to the FBI stuff, maybe, but I can't say that for sure. In fact, I, I'm not seeing anything that would explicitly indicate that. I feel as though if it was, we would be the getting... Harper Kern, for what it's worth, the Harper Court is reporting it is unrelated to the FBI investigation. There we go. So um, so you can remove that from the, uh, from the formula and the equation overall, um, but we wait and see. I would not be surprised if this is relatively you know, severe, then this is going to end uh, Kevin Ollie's career as UConn's coach. And there are a lot of people that would not be uh, disappointed if that was the case because they are now hitting a point where this season, even though they've been riddled by injuries last season and this season, they're just uncertain about the future. And they view it, they view this as a critical period for UConn's program because. There's a push to try and get back into the Big East. They haven't found their footing in the American, and they don't want to have another one or two seasons where they're spinning their tires in the mud here, and then all of a sudden UConn just becomes like, oh, yeah, they make the tournament like once every three years, and if it's a good season, they make the Sweet 16. That's not acceptable uh, for UConn fans and their expectations at all, and they're worried that by keeping Ali on, and if not, they're not able to get enough recruiting wins, then that's what UConn's going to be become, and it's going to be really, really hard, as in like take like six, seven, eight years hard to get back to the level where UConn's like, oh, no, that's a clear-cut top 25 program, because right now that's not where UConn's at. Uh, let's move on and look at some games over the weekend. Um, seems weird to even talk about games at this point when we're talking about, uh, you know, what we spent the first 24 minutes uh, on, which is uh, like sexual assault and very serious allegations. But it is a college basketball podcast, and it is an interesting weekend of, of games. Uh, there's three that I circled that I want to uh, touch on at least briefly. Uh, the first is number two Virginia at number four Duke. That's a two o'clock Eastern. Uh, tip on CBS that is America's most watched network. It's the network of stars. Uh, after that, or actually while that's going on, number 12, uh, Oklahoma at Alabama, 2.15 Eastern tip. That's on ESPN, so you get Trey Young against Colin Sexton there. I'm sure there will be at least one NBA scout uh, in Tuscaloosa. And then, of course, Kentucky at number 7, West Virginia. That tips at 7 Eastern. It's on ESPN. Let's start number 2, Virginia at number 4, Duke. It is clearly the game of the weekend. And um, I think especially big, if only because, and I pointed this out on the last podcast, Duke hasn't played a currently ranked team in literally two months. November 26th, two months ago, today, was the last time Duke played a team that is in the current uh, AP poll. Um, so they've in some ways been a little off the radar. If you know, It's Duke, so they're never completely off the radar. And they've been ranked in the top five. Uh, they're ranked fourth right now. But they haven't played these big signature games and put themselves in a position to get these big, massive, uh, make-you-pay-attention uh, wins. And so they get an opportunity uh, tomorrow inside Cameron Indoor. Uh, they get Virginia and uh, their home court. You think they handle Virginia? Handle, no, but I do think they win, and it is a satisfactory win. Um, Virginia's going to slow this game down. Uh, I went on our buddy Rob Dosser's podcast on Thursday. I think I said 68-63 Duke. I'll stick with that. I'll take the Blue Devils. 
Uh, it's a fascinating game because Virginia is playing at a defensive level that has not been seen in the Ken Palm era. We'll see if they can keep that up. Literally, there's never been a team that has held opponents to so few points per 100 possessions as Virginia is able to do right now. Duke has the second-rated offense in the country. They get the home floor. Uh, Virginia would no doubt love to win this game 55-50. I don't think it's going to be able to keep it that low scoring. But, I, you know, I will say, like, Bennett has been able to do a lot of really impressive things to a lot of really good offenses. Regular and postseason, even though he's never made a Final Four. So if you if we wind up having a situation where this game ends and Virginia wins 59-56, my hat off to Bennett and Virginia. I will take Duke with its home floor here. I cannot wait to see how the pack line D matches up with Bagley and Carter. Um because both those guys are so talented, and they simply have not faced something like this. I would love to have sat in on Duke's practices Wednesday, Thursday, Friday and gotten an idea of how Krzyzewski is prepping this team to face this uh, Virginia squad, and obviously he's familiar with how Bennett runs, runs his schemes. But it is, it is going to be interesting. GP, I will take Duke. I think it's going to be a pretty good game. I love the fact that this game is just like – it's a mid-afternoon, 2 o'clock. Uh, you know what? Get a great lunch in. Settle in. It actually happens uh, pretty much at the same time as Trey versus Colin Sexton. It's going to need to be a two-TV situation or a two-screen situation for everyone listening here because that's uh, you want to build your Saturday basically from 2 o'clock to about 4.30 or so with these games. Who do you got in Virginia versus Duke? I'll take Duke in a one-possession game. This is the type of t- game where if, if we were playing it in Charlottesville, I'd take Virginia. But what's interesting about Duke is people act like like Duke's not good or like Duke's been disappointing. I mean, Duke is 18-2. and two. The losses are like not great losses. I'm not going to try to lie to you. But they're both in true road games. Basically everybody, almost everybody, has lost a true road game. Most people have lost true road games to, to unranked teams. So there's nothing like um, – you know, 2015 Kentucky didn't do it, but basically everybody in this year has. And you're not competing against that team. You're competing against the best teams in this season. And relative to the other teams in this particular season, like Duke's as good as anybody. Um, they've got some things to shore up on the defensive end, but they're number two in, um, in offensive efficiency. They're number one in offensive rebounding percentage. Um, they take care of the ball pretty well. Um, you know, they're, they're good. They're led by an All-American candidate. The National Player of the Year uh, candidate in Marvin Bagley, as you detailed earlier in the week, Grayson Allen's had a quiet senior year, which might not be the worst thing. Wendell Carter's been terrific. Gary Trench shooting the ball well. Uh, Trayvon Duvall's not, but like he still does things that most point guards can't do just because he's a, a super quick and explosive athlete. Like it's a very good basketball team, and I, I think they're due for a big win that maybe reminds the country of that. They'll get it. I would I would assume they'll get it uh, on Saturday. Like something I don't know, Duke seventy, uh, Virginia sixty seven, somewhere right around there. But I do think Duke wins the game. Although obviously there'd be nothing crazy about Virginia winning. They're very um, very good. Number one defensive efficiency team uh, in the country. Oklahoma at Alabama. That's Trey Young, Colin Sexton. Who you got there? I have Oklahoma winning this game. I have them winning it. I think this will be pretty fun. I'll have them like 84-77, but like a fun game. Maybe Oklahoma pulls away in the final two minutes or so. Um, Both these point guards should be taken in the lottery this year. Uh, Colin Sexton is uh, an extremely confident player and – What's interesting here is that Sexton kind of 
burst onto the scene late as a prospect. So he was not even the kind of guy that was rated highly at all, like five-star, four-star, three-star, anything like that. And then he gets really good really fast, becomes a five-star player. And he's been pretty good. Like, I've had him in the frost watch all season, uh, hovering in that four to six range overall. Trey Young um, was long seen as a really good prospect, but now, like, he's become what he's become. He's just an absolute phenomenon. And... Uh, this is a 215 tip. I'm I'm interested in it because it's at Alabama. Um, interested to see what Trey does after what he put on the floor that display earlier this week. So I'm going to need your prediction and Trey Young over under, of course. So let's go. See, he's Trey's messing with us. See, that's why he did this. He knows we do this game, and he was like, you know what? I'm going to start mixing it up here. So I'll say. Five and a half turnovers. Mm-hmm. I'll say. I'll say nine and a half assists, mm-hmm. and I will say. Uh, I'm going to tempt you here. I'm going to say, twenty-seven and a half points. Okay. I'm going over on turnovers. I'm going under on assist. I'm going over on points. Over 20, so 20, at least 28 points, no more than nine assists, and at least six turnovers. I thought you said five. No, and you half. did say five and a half. Yeah, 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 at least six turnovers. And then I think I'm taking Alabama. What's the, what's the line on the game? So, I think uh, Oklahoma's probably going to be about a two point favorite. All right, good deal. Um,. That's the Crimson Tide. That's that's passionate and fiery. I will take over points, over assists, over turnovers. 28, 10, and 6, at least for Trey Young. Um, Very much looking forward to that game. You mentioned uh, Kentucky at West Virginia. I also quickly mentioned we've got Texas A&M at Kansas. A&M really doesn't stand a chance in that game, but I'm only bringing it up because... With a loss there, um, A&M will fall to 2-7 and seven in the league and fall off the bubble, in my opinion, will need to win their way back on. They were projected to be the champion in the SEC. And although that feels like a Big 12 game, it is in fact not. This is the SEC Big 12 weekend where those teams play every year. That is why we have Oklahoma and Alabama, and it is why we have Kentucky at West Virginia. I do not think the Wildcats have much of a shot here. Like, I'm talking like they got like a 10% chance at winning and probably are going to need a West Virginia injury in order to get that. So... I'll take the Mountaineers about 82 to 70 here. I'm interested to see what kind of lineups Cal puts on the floor. I'm interested to see how many turnovers Kentucky has. Maybe this blows me away. Kentucky gets a huge win, and this is where the season finds its crossroads for the better, and they and they manage to go on and, and be really good. I'm not seeing that. I'm seeing West Virginia putting a dominant win on them, and will remind listeners that this is the first time these teams have met since the NCAA tournament in 2015. I was at that game. Kentucky won 78 to 39, and not only did Kentucky win, that got them to 37 and 0 at that point. And that was the game where beforehand, Daxter Miles Jr. promised a victory ending Kentucky's undefeated season. That didn't happen. What happened instead is West Virginia got its just butt romped, man. They, they, Kentucky just killed him there. And Miles, afterward, was hiding in the bathroom stall. I was the one who actually saw him in there because uh, 
it's I explained this on Doster's podcast. When these NCAA tournament uh, games happen in the end, you're in pro arenas normally. So you're in a locker room, and they've got like the, the expansive like bathrooms with the stalls and the showers and stuff, but there's a lot of media. So the media all came in, and I kind of just got out of the way, stepped to the side of the bathroom, and as I could, I got the angle on this guy that was just hanging in the bathroom stall. And then sure enough, I heard a coach talking and saying, hey, man, you got to go out there and face the media. Surely, Daxter Miles Jr. has grown quite a bit in his uh, four years. He is now a senior and no doubt is dying for a win here over Kentucky. Certainly, even though no one on this Kentucky roster was a part of that team, uh, they want to continue the the, uh, the legacy of their of their former uh, Kentucky Wildcats and try and get a win here. I don't think they got a shot. I'm taking West Virginia by 12. Maybe that's even a little bit generous for Kentucky. What do you have, GP? Um, well, for Kentucky, West Virginia, listen, I just don't think they're built to go into West Virginia and win. Like, what have they done literally at any point this season to make you think they're going to go to West Virginia and win? And what is it about the way they play that makes you think they're going to go to West Virginia and win? Uh, the first um, or the, the, the most often – the most thing that happens most often in upsets is like the underdog – you know, shoots lights out from three-point range. Like, that is the common thread behind be, between most upsets. Like, ooh, ooh, that team really shot it well from the three-point line. Uh, Kentucky doesn't shoot it well from the three-point line. They shoot 34% from three, ranks 194th in the country. Okay, then what else has to happen for them to win? Well, are they good away from Rupp Arena? No. I think they got a losing record away from Rupp Arena. Um, they barely won at LSU. They barely won at Vanderbilt. They lost at South Carolina, lost at Tennessee. Like, what is it about their road resume that suggests they're going to go to West Virginia and win? Like, it ain't there. Um, and then, lastly, um, obviously, West Virginia makes everything difficult for you. Like, we always talk about the adjustment for freshmen. Well, you know, that Kentucky's now 20 games in. These freshmen have got, in theory, 20 games of experience. But nothing like what they're going to be dealing with on, on Saturday. Uh, you know, West Virginia is going to guard them in a way that they've never been guarded, going to bother them in a way that they've never been bothered. And um, Kentucky turns it over on 20% of its possessions when teams aren't doing that. They rank 231st in the country in offensive turnover percentage. Like, that is not where you want to rank um, when you get ready to play West Virginia. So, listen, they can keep it close, I guess. West Virginia is always... Um, at risk of just not shooting the ball well and not scoring. I mean, that's what happened to them in the final minutes against uh, Kansas. But I would think West Virginia, like if, if you looked up early and West Virginia was up like 15-4, like that wouldn't surprise me. I think West Virginia probably wins the game by about by about 10 points. Yeah. Um, real quick, let's hit Sunday. There's a few games here. Uh, well, hold up. You, hold up. What? Hold up. What? Hold up. I want to address Texas A&M and Kansas. Oh, okay. Somebody. Somebody thinks Texas a and is going to Kansas? What? Rob Doster. <laughs> Rob Doster you... thinks that's happening. Why would you think that? Like, hey, I got a, I got a nice prediction. The team that just lost at LSU by 12, I think they're going to go to Allen Fieldhouse and win. What? I got what are you talking about? How about this? You me tell you how many road games um, Texas a and has won this year? I'm going to guess. And you're asking that, so I'm going to say zero. It's one okay. at USC on November 26th. It was two months uh, yes. ago. Yes, yes, yes. Two months ago. They they lost um, a semi-road game in Phoenix to Arizona. They lost at Alabama. They lost at Kentucky. They lost at Tennessee. They lost by 12 at LSU. That's the team that's going to the Kansas and winning? No uh, way. That doesn't happen. At some point, we got to call Texas and what they are. Uh, they're a 2-6 team in the SEC. They're just not very good. They're, they're talented, and, and – um, 
you know, they, they're still talented enough to flip a switch and get going, but at this point it would have to be a surprise, wouldn't it? It would be a surprise. I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, but, yeah, I, just, I wouldn't expect it. All right, Sunday, real quick here. we got a few things to note here before we wrap up this podcast. Uh, a couple trap games potentially here. Um, Purdue looked – listen, they looked great. Uh, Michigan had a shot, and Purdue responded so well at home on Thursday night. That's a team that's awesome. They're going to Indiana. Little trappy there. That's a Sunday 3:30 uh, tip there. Clemson is at Georgia Tech. Clemson is in the midst of making this NCAA tournament push. Can you go on the road and can you get that win against Josh Pastner's team, which has not been as good this season as it was last season? Keep an eye on those two. Little tricky, maybe as well. Villanova at Marquette. Okay, I said on this podcast, like GP, uh, like a month ago, that I thought Villanova's first loss was going to be at Marquette. I'm going to stick with that. I think. The Wildcats will lose. I'm going to say Clemson loses. I'll say Purdue wins. I'm going to say Villanova loses at Marquette. And then the other one, for a number of reasons here, Michigan State plays at Maryland. That is a 1 o'clock game on CBS on Sunday. We wait and see if Izzo says anything before that game. In my opinion, he absolutely should. We're on we're at Friday afternoon here. Um, he should issue some sort of statement, if not meet with the media before then. Uh, but he will, obviously, after that game. From a pure basketball perspective, that's a huge game for Maryland. Really needs a home win there. If Maryland's going to make the tournament, win that game. If you don't, you're putting yourself in a really tough spot. And then Michigan State, from purely from a basketball perspective, if you want to keep pace with... Purdue, if you want to get a chance at a one seed, go ahead and get that win on the road. We'll see if they can. I will take Maryland to win at home. So I'm taking Maryland at home, and I'm taking Georgia Tech at home, and I'm taking Marquette at home. Of the four games I mentioned, Purdue is the only team I'm picking to win on the road. That's a lot of of straight-up opportunities if you want to try it. I've actually been working on my straight-ups. I'll be honest. I've been staring at myself in the mirror and, and practicing them. I'm going to break it out in February. But not yet. I'm getting there. See, here's the thing. I don't want to mimic your straight-ups. I want to have my own kind of straight-ups, my own kind of tone. So it's coming, but I'm, I'm going to wait on it. And plus, you know, you do it so well, I don't, I don't want to bring the whole notion of straight-up down just yet. So I'm, get, I'm getting there. I'm in the lab. I'm working on it. I, I can respect that. Okay, let's go through Sunday's games. I got Michigan State winning at Maryland. Um, it, it might be tight, but I think Michigan State goes ahead and knocks it out. Purdue... I just don't see how Indiana can play with them. I mean, almost nobody can play with them right now. Um, so I think Purdue probably goes in there and wins pretty easily. I think Clemson wins at Georgia Tech. But you know where I'm with you? I think the top-ranked Villanova Wildcats mm. are going to go to Marquette in the Bradley Center, and they're going to be dealing with not one, but two Devin Downies. <laughs> two little guards who can shoot it like crazy. My little dev of Downies in Marquette. I'm, of course, talking about Marcus, Hander, uh, uh, Marcus Howard and Andrew <laughs> Of course. Rousey. So give me, give me Wojo's team. It's like you're whipping a horse or something. I don't they, they got two Devin Downies. How are you supposed to go beat two Devin Downies on the road? It's going to be tough. John we... Wall, John Wall, and Demarcus Cousins couldn't beat one Devin Downey on the road. Do you realize that? I'm quite aware. Yes, quite aware. So how, so how are you supposed to go on the road and beat two Devin Downies on the road? I don't have that answer for you. There is no answer. It's a trick question. There's not an answer. This is going to look a lot like. Oh my God. Do you know what today is? Is it really? Come on, <laughs> man. <laughs> 
You know what? Uh, I all right. So I apologize. Uh, man, I can't believe it's that date. So last year, do you remember last year? Do you remember last year? I I I remember parts of last year. Well, do you remember the episode we did on the twenty sixth last year? Did we record it before like eight o'clock? I don't remember much. Back no, then. I I, I, I spliced in like all the Devin Downey highlight stuff. <laughs> yes, I do remember that. And I was gonna do that again. I can't though. Like straight up, I can't do it. I don't have the time this afternoon. <laughs> oh man, I lost track of my it's, life. It's, it's January twenty sixth, two thousand ten. You telling me two days removed from the eight year anniversary of Devin Downey's victory over top rank Kentucky, the top rank Villanova is going to be able to go into Marquette and deal with not one but two Devin Downey? I don't think so. I doubt it. I'm going to go ahead and doubt it publicly. All right, good stuff, man. We going to talk Sunday night? Maybe. <laughs> Fired up now. Fired up. Been tired. We really, we really up. spanned a whole lot of a whole lot of stuff on this podcast here. Yeah, we went from one one to the other. Really did. Whew. All right. Fired up. Shout All right. out to Devin Downey. Shout out. Shout out to Chester. Shout, Shout out. Shout out to Terry Memphis. Shout. Please go subscribe to the Island College Basketball Podcast. Rate it favorably. Five stars and nice comments. Somebody on there wrote something nice about you and not as nice about me. I don't even I know where know. you're reading these comments and how you're even checking them. Like I, I check them every day. I just because it, it usually makes me feel good. Like people are saying, "Love you, GP." Where are you seeing these comments, GP? On iTunes. Okay. On I don't iTunes. Know. I've never. I go them. there. I go. Th- I go there and I go to most recent just to see what the most recent ones oh are because gosh. I learned about a year ago. If you click on most recent, it takes you to the most recent. And usually they're nice, but this one guy, he was like, "Love the podcast." I was like, "Okay." He- every episode i was like okay and he was like norlander is outstanding this guy's Paris awesome too i'm like what shout out to that guy <laughs> yeah, so like balance that out balance that out a little bit like i um i i know norlander's awesome but i don't need to read it you know it's like i know i got a bald spot but i don't need to see it every day you know? Oh, by the way, to the listeners, um, Paris just turned 45 a couple of days ago so wish him a happy birthday on twitter 41 i'm 41 years old i'm 41 years old why you got to lie like that? No, I really am. 41 years old. I look like, well, it's funny. Like, Wally Zerbiak is also 41. He's like, GP, we're, we're, we're the same age? I didn't realize we're the same age. <laughs> Neither like, did I'm anyone like, else. <laughs> like, literally nobody else in the world thinks we're the same age, Wally. <laughs> you look like a like a 34-year-old model, and I look like a 50-year-old. <laughs> okay. I have a fat neck. What do you want me to do about it? I had it my whole life. I have the. I bet you nobody in, in the country, continental United States at least, has a different. I bet their waist size is different than their next size than me in the entire country. When I went and got fitted for suits and stuff, like my guy at James Davis in Memphis, he said, "I've never seen anybody with a waist as small as your waist with a neck as big as your neck." I'm just not built the right way. I'm just built weird. It's like. It's like a I'm a doll that. that uh, yeah, I was gonna, no, you're no, but you're built like uh, what are those things called where you open it and it's smaller and you open it and it's the same kind of doll but it's smaller and smaller like that's your shape. Why am I a shape like an idiot? <laughs> Man, <sighs> this podcast. <sighs> we'll talk to you. We'll talk to you again on Sunday night after the little Devin Downies do work on building. <laughs> <laughs> and take care.